Human Resources, Employee Relations, the Legal Department are aligned against you. Your employer has trained for this day, the day you've become an expendable number at work. There are robust laws that may protect you, but unlike the company, you've not been drilled on how to wield them. You're playing catch-up. There are pitfalls to avoid and countermeasures to deploy that may save your job or put you in the best position to negotiate a favorable settlement. Minutes matter. Your words and actions matter even more. The Walking Papers podcast offers the first foray into learning how to turn the tables when you've been targeted at work. Knowledge is power. Let's get started. What happens if you contract coronavirus at work? Many employees working jobs deemed essential are understandably worried about contracting the coronavirus and how that will affect not only their health, but their finances and their families. Today, I am here with North Carolina employment lawyer, Josh Van Campen, to discuss these issues and more. Welcome back, Josh. Good to be here. Right. Now, the title of this episode is Quid Pro Quo Clarice. Will workers' compensation insurance carriers or short-term and long-term disability insurers have your back if you contract COVID-19? So uh, I don't know what your favorite movie was in law school or in undergrad, but (laughs) Silence of the Lambs was one that I probably watched, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 times. And so uh, does everybody remember uh, the scene where Clarice is uh, meeting Hannibal Lecter and he says, Clarice, come closer, Clarice. Clarice, I need to see your identification. Come closer. (laughs) And uh, and then later on in that scene, he talks about a quid pro quo where uh, he'll give her information if she uh, shares personal information about herself. Well, in the um, in the workplace, you know, the, there are quid pro quos that have happened with respect to certain benefits that employees are supposed to have access to. And we're going to be talking about basically two categories of those sort of benefits that, that are applicable potentially uh, in the COVID-19 pandemic. One is a workers' compensation benefit. So in North Carolina and probably in virtually all states and the country, employers are required to carry what's called workers' compensation insurance. And so if an employee is injured at work or suffers a workplace injury, they're literally an insurance company. You know, you've seen these AFLAC commercials, which are for short-term, long-term disability. That's the second category. But there are also insurance companies that provide coverage when employees are injured or, or contracted disease at work. So that's one category we're going to be talking about are workers' compensation uh, benefits. And then the second are the uh, essentially the AFLACs of the world. And I should probably get a royalty for calling them out as opposed to some of their competitors. But uh, AFLAC is, and uh, other, other companies like it, they sell to employers or to individual employees disability policies so that if for whatever reason uh, you are unable to uh, report to work, there are disability policies that you may be entitled to recover some of your lost wages from. Um, and so that's the second category of potential benefits that uh, listeners may be able to take advantage of uh, with COVID-19 under uh, these short-term and long-term disability policies. But, uh, you know, first up essentially is uh, workers' compensation benefits. So most people are not intimately familiar with workers' compensation laws and, and how they work and the ins and the outs. Can you give us a brief overview? Sure. 
So, you know, a normal, a normal uh, scenario where workers' compensation benefits would, would come in would be, uh, let's, you know, um, I like to talk about uh, supermarkets. So let's say a cashier, you know, w- was injured while walking around the supermarket to show a customer where a particular product was. They fell uh, and they broke, their, they broke their leg. They would have broke their leg at work in the course of performing their, their duties and, and would be entitled to what are called workers' compensation benefits as a result of that injury. So what does that entail? Uh, first, any medical bills that are associated with a workplace injury are covered by this work, a, a workers' compensation carrier. So you don't have to do it on your private insurance. Second, that cashier, maybe she's laid up for, you know, a month recovering from, you know, her broken leg. Uh, Well, obviously, she's going to be suffering a loss of income during that recovery period. Well, under the workers' compensation laws, the insurance carrier uh, would be required to supplement, depends by state, but in general, supplement two-thirds of her lost pay while she's recuperating from uh, an injury. Uh, Those workers' compensation laws also, God forbid, let's say that the injury ended up having some sort of permanent uh, restriction on that employee's leg. Let's say that a doctor said that she was now restricted to 90% usage of her leg or it was 10% disabled. There are formulas under, at least under the North Carolina workers' compensation law, that can ascribe a value to uh, that work injury separate and apart from her loss of income. And then the workers' compensation laws are good too, because let's say she's only able to come back on light duty or, you know, uh, restricted duty or fewer hours in the week. The workers' compensation law requires employers to, you know, work with, uh, in other words, ease that uh, employee back into their position. So that's, that's nice. And then in North Carolina, there are really robust protections for people that file workers' compensation claims. So you're not allowed to be retaliated against for doing that, for example. And if we prove that somebody was retaliated against for filing a workers' compensation claim, then we can recover literally triple damages on their lost, their lost pay and benefits. So it's got a nice whistleblower protection component to it. So let's say I have a workers' compensation claim I want to make. How do I go about starting that process? Well, it's in general, there are a couple of different ways to do it. But the first way to do it, you start by notifying your employer that you suffered a workplace injury. And you want to do that as soon as possible. And, and certainly within 30 days, you know, if you want to avoid having, uh, avoid having problems that will prompt it should prompt the employer if they're sophisticated to give you what's called a form 18 which is basically kind of like an injury report or incident report uh, to document the injury at that point the employer is supposed to notify its workers compensation carrier that you've been injured at work and then the insurance carrier does due diligence and you get sent to a doctor and they're they're determining whether or not you know the injury that you're claiming was work-related or not, because workers' compensation insurance covers work injuries, not non-work injuries. You know how insurance companies are, you know, sometimes they try to weasel out of uh, protections. And so for our listeners, if you're claiming a workers' compensation injury, you know they're going to try to tease you or trick you into saying something about how it was a pre-existing condition. Maybe you hurt yourself playing basketball when you were in college, whatever. Don't go there. 
don't be fooled. It only applies to uh, workplace injuries. And then um, if there's a denial, there's, a, at least in North Carolina, uh, an agency called the North Carolina Industrial Commission where you can appeal a denial of workers' compensation benefits. And at that point, if you get a denial, you should hire a workers' compensation attorney. Uh, and there are a bunch of good ones in Charlotte. I, I'm not a workers' compensation lawyer, but if you call my office, uh, we can certainly point you uh, in the right direction. So that takes us to the big question that I have. Can someone get workers' compensation benefits for contracting COVID-19? Well, once again, we got we got a law that's uh, on the books that didn't envision uh, a pandemic. And so, you know, here for we'll have listeners nationally, we'll have listeners in North Carolina understand if you're not in North Carolina and you're listening to this, you have to take whatever I say with a huge grain of salt. Uh, because each state has its own workers' compensation law. And a lot of times they're pretty similar. Uh, but all I'm going to be speaking to essentially is the North Carolina workers' compensation law. So the North Carolina Workers' Compensation Act does not address whether or not someone contracting COVID-19 in the workplace, whether or not that is something that you can get workers' compensation benefits from. So that's unfortunate. And so we're having to, once again, try to fit this uh, foot into a slipper that doesn't work very well, but let's try. So there's a, a two-part standard under the North Carolina's Workers' Compensation Act. One is we have to show that the employment placed uh, the individual, the listener, at a greater risk for developing the condition than the general public. So again, look at the job as the person in that job at a greater risk for developing COVID-19 than other people in the public. Obviously, if you're a first responder, if you're somebody who works in a doctor's office, in a hospital, in a medical environment, uh, you are more likely to uh, contract COVID-19 uh, than me or, or Rob Ingalls, uh, my good friend. So. In that instance, at least with the first part of the test, I would feel pretty good about being able to say that first responders or healthcare workers are more likely or at greater risk of developing the condition. You know, a little bit of a closer call. Let's talk about those cashiers, those Instacart delivery folks that are keeping us safe uh, by delivering groceries or checking out your groceries with the cashiers. To me, they're also more at risk than the than the general public. Think about the cashier. I mean, they are just people queue up to them over and over and over again, uh, well within the six feet of separation we're supposed to have. So I think, you know, I would certainly be confident in arguing to the industrial commission that those cashiers or let's say the Instacart people who are doing the shopping for you are more likely to contract COVID-19. Now let's talk about, you know, paper pushers like you and me, Rob, and who are able to work remotely. You know, we certainly can't say uh, that we're more likely to contract COVID-19. And so I think you and I, for example, wouldn't have a leg to stand on. But cashiers, first responders, healthcare workers, uh, delivery drivers, folks like that, I think would. Problem is that's only the first part of the test. The second part of the test is to show that the employment caused or substantially contributed to the condition. So in other words, we need to prove that your job or you contracted COVID-19 at work or as a result of your job. And how do you, how do, you do that? 
because with COVID-19, there's an incubation, incubation period of, it's the estimate I think is most recently two days to 14 days. If that's the case, you know, how are you able to go to the industrial commission and pinpoint that you contracted COVID-19 in the performance of your job duties? Because there'll be an intervening period in between where you could have gotten it elsewhere. And so, you know, there it becomes really important for our listeners too to 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 be able to say that you were following, let's say you were following your, you know, lock in place order for your state. And so if you weren't going to work, you were back home, you know, that you abided the six feet, you know, distance uh, restriction that's required. If you can show that your COVID-19 hygiene, if you will, was exemplary and so that the only interactions that you were having uh, where you were with members of the public was at work, you know, then, you know, I think you're more likely to be able to show that connection, you know, if you're able to show that, uh, you know, you were not around people that where you might've contracted it other than at work. Now, what makes me concerned for listeners though, is let's say you minded your P's and Q's and you did everything right on your, your only exposure to, contract COVID-19 was at work at the supermarket, that's only as good as the other people that you live with. So, you know, if you're interacting with your little brother who also had a job and he went on spring break and was a knucklehead and you could have contracted it from your uh, knucklehead little brother, you know, then that's going to create a problem uh, for trying to apply for uh, workers' compensation benefits. Yeah, I could see that getting really stressful if there was some litigation there just trying to prove who went where and where it came from. I could see that being very difficult. Well, right. And and one thing we already know about workers' compensation carriers, you know, is they, they're being counters. And so if they can find some wiggle room to not have to pay uh, benefits, then you know that they're going to, you know, that they're going to do that. Now, fortunately, not North Carolina, but it's been reported that in other states, there are uh, there have been some amendments to workers' compensation laws to provide benefits for certain categories of folks. So uh, according to recent news reports, uh, Washington and Kentucky have amended their workers' compensation laws to allow for healthcare workers and first responders to be covered by those, those laws, period. And, you know, I certainly uh, would urge our listeners in North Carolina to contact uh, the governor's office, Governor Cooper, um, and also your, your uh, senators and your representatives in the state house or general assembly to urge them to amend the workers' compensation law to apply to healthcare workers and first responders at a minimum. Now, to me, I think we also want to cover our delivery drivers and our cashiers uh, and supermarket workers, uh, you know, they're, they're really brave and valuable. And also they don't get paid very well. And the notion that they're going to be out there, uh, hang, you know, left hanging, uh, not eligible for workers' compensation benefits is just offensive to me. And so I think we, we all have to step up and, and, you know, Rob, just like you did on the last one, if we could leave a link for folks to follow, to contact, uh, their state and local representatives, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that those jobs seem at this moment to be very high risk with lower reward. Yeah, and I started slipping. I just started slipping <laughs> tips to the cashiers and the baggers. I know they're not supposed to accept it, but you know, I thought yeah, just 
Yeah. You know, and they're, you know, they remind me of my own kids. You know, a lot of them are 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. And then you got the, you know, the single moms who are working three jobs and one of which is uh, being a cashier. They don't have any choice but to go to work to support their families. So, um, gosh, we got to we got to protect them, too. Absolutely. So outside of workers' compensation, are there any other options to, to help employees? Yeah, there. So there, there are. Um, remember, we talked about that that second bucket, uh, which has to do with uh, disability policies. So some some employers, especially the larger employers, they pay to have sh- what are called short term disability policies uh, for their workers. You know, the more generous employers don't require the employee to contribute to those premiums. Uh, some other employers uh, will require employees to contribute. And then there are still other employers who won't pay anything for these short-term disability policies, but some of the listeners may be given an opportunity to pay for that entirely out of their own pocket. But assuming that you're covered by a short-term disability policy, there's probably a pretty good chance that uh, you know you would be eligible for uh, compensation under that policy if you contract uh, COVID-19. And what's nice about these short-term disability policies is they can, most of them pay up to 80% of your, your pay rate, which is better than, you know, that some of the federal laws that we were talking about in the last podcast. Um, and they usually cover up to uh, 90 days at 80% pay, which I think should be sufficient for someone to be diagnosed and recover, get a clean bill of health from a COVID-19 diagnosis. Um, and so, but it's critical for listeners to obtain copies of their disability policies. So the legal term for them are, uh, what you're asking for are summary plan descriptions or SPD uh, for short. Um, you're legally entitled to get a copy of your uh, short-term disability plan. And it's really in the fine print to determine whether or not you you would be covered. But certainly as a general rule, um, I would anticipate that folks would be covered for a COVID-19 diagnosis for short-term disability. Uh, you know, one other, one other nice thing about short-term disability, remember with workers' compensation benefits, we were getting caught up on proving that the COVID-19 was contracted at work or work-related. Under short-term disability policies, it is irrelevant. Uh, how you contracted COVID-19. Your knucklehead little brother uh, who went to spring break, uh, who was covered by a short-term disability policy, would still be entitled to benefits you know, regardless because there's not going to be an inquiry about how COVID-19 was contracted. Now, how does long-term disability policies, how do they play into this? So in general, long-term disability policies dovetail with short-term disability. So if short-term disability covers you for 90 days, usually long-term disability policies will pick up on the 91st day. Uh, Sometimes you have gaps, and so maybe it picks up on the 120th day versus the 90th day. But most employers that provide short-term disability also provide long-term disability policies. Now, Long-term disability policies are not as generous. So, you know, as a general rule, they pay only about 60%. So whereas short-term disability benefits generally pay out at 80%, that drops down to 60% on long-term disability. And then long-term disability policies are also much more likely to deny you coverage 
uh, because you're having to prove that, you know, you are unable to work and not only that, unable to work for a longer period of time. So, you know, I guess the question is with folks for with COVID-19, um, are they likely to be the beneficiaries of long-term disability? And I think probably, you know, most likely not because let's, geez, I sure hope that, you know, within a 90 day period that you're fully recovered. But let's say, uh, God forbid, you know, one of the listeners ended up with some severe damage to their lungs. And so as a result of that damage, let's say they were a welder uh, or something like that. And they were, it wasn't the COVID-19, but the scarring of the lungs as a result, you know, that can be, uh, I I could see where long-term disability benefits might apply in that situation. Or let's say that the person who contracted COVID-19 already had, you know, some sort of chronic condition that was exacerbated by the COVID-19 diagnosis. You know, in that instance, uh, long-term disability benefits might apply. But in general, you know, for listeners, uh, it's it's unlikely that you'll you'll benefit uh, under a long-term disability policy for COVID nineteen. One other thought, though, uh, in terms of trying to become eligible for receiving long-term disability benefits, let's say that you know originally you were diagnosed with COVID-19, you took short-term disability, but during that time, you were also diagnosed with a general anxiety disorder, or God forbid, uh, you suffered a loss in your family and were battling uh, depression. It's possible that, you know, those additional diagnoses after your COVID-19 diagnosis could, uh, you know, result in you being eligible for long-term disability, even though your COVID-19 condition resolved itself. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today, Josh. This was very informative. And for the listener, I think it's important to remember that we are stating the law as it is on April 1st, 2020. There's a lot of updates taking place and we're going to come back here and we're going to keep you updated. But the laws are moving quickly and some of this information could be stale by the time you hear it. So please never make any legal decisions without speaking to a legal professional first. Take care. Congratulations for taking an important initial step in turning the tables at work. But this podcast is just an educational resource. It does not constitute legal advice and is no substitute for consulting an employment attorney about your unique situation before making legal decisions. Visit our website for more online resources and videos at www.ncemploymentattorneys.com or better yet, call 704-247-3245 for a free initial intake interview so Van Camp and Law can evaluate your case. Until next time, keep your head up and your wits about you. Congratulations for taking an important initial step in turning the tables at work. But this podcast is just an educational resource. It does not constitute legal advice and is no substitute for consulting an employment attorney about your unique situation before making legal decisions. Visit our website for more online resources and videos at www.ncemploymentattorneys.com. Or better yet, call 704-247-3245 for a free initial intake interview so Van Camp and Law can evaluate your case. Until next time, keep your head up and your wits about you.